Good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. Coming up this afternoon, we'll hear from Agriculture and the Classroom Canada Executive Director, Joanne Ross. And up first in today's country comment, we'll talk about some crop disease issues with David Kaminsky with Manitoba Agriculture. The latest farm news and market numbers all coming up over the next 60 minutes. The time now is 12 o'clock. Here's a look at our local news. Good afternoon. You're listening to the Manitoba Farm Journal. Joining us on the program today is David Kaminsky with Manitoba Agriculture to discuss a number of crop disease issues that were touched on in this week's crop pest update. Bacterial blight in oats is um, a disease that we see quite commonly year to year, um, but this year it seems to be very widespread. And I think that it has a lot to do with the very high winds that we had this spring, causing a kind of sandblasting of leaves, especially the early leaves. And um, that opens up the leaves, the injury to the leaf, to um, bacterial infection. Um, Bacteria don't need much uh, moisture in order to get started. And we did have some moisture over the last, few weeks and that seems to have triggered uh, bacterial blight this year. Is there anything farmers can really do about that or? No, bacteria are controlled, not controlled, pardon me, by fungicides and uh, a lot of crops are advancing quickly and they're at or near the flag leaf stage, um, some even more advanced than that and uh, a lot of growers are interested in Um, whether or not fungicide spraying is justified. In the off chance that there was uh, fungal disease present as well, uh, fungicides may be a benefit at this stage, but it seems much more likely that it's bacterial disease, and in that case, fungicides will do nothing. Another topic that was touched on in in the report here, um, whiteheads in in fall rye. Yes, uh, this is another phenomenon that's been observed fairly widely, and um, at, a, at a level in fields that is uh, higher than some of the, the common culprits to which it's attributed, um, sometimes we think of whiteheads as being caused by the wheat stem maggot, which can also attack rye, um, but in that case, when you tug the heads, they would come out easily, and that's not the case here. Um, Heads are generally very firm, and uh, it looks, too, like maybe some of the tillers are being sacrificed due to prolonged dry periods. However, that's not a complete explanation either. I have been in a few fields where the percentage of heads affected is more than 30 and as high as 50% of the heads, and that's quite shocking. This all seems to be attributed to environmental conditions. We had a two-week period where there was frost over three days in one week. That was near the end of May. And then we had those high temperatures, well above 30, the following week. And when the rye was in a sensitive stage, that is either in the boot or freshly emerged, um, there can be damage um, from those environmental causes. And the uh, the third topic that was uh, touched on, um, lower canopy lesions in field peas. 
Yes, well, field peas have taken a surge in acreage because of the interest in pea protein. And uh, so there are a lot more acres of peas out there, and they're being looked at very closely, scrutinized uh, early in the season. And again, uh, it seems to be uh, a bacterial blight that is the most common uh, thing out there in the field. Um, there is another disease, a fungal disease, the Aspicita complex, and um, some of that complex is known as Mycosorella. And the symptoms of Mycosorella and bacterial blight can be quite similar. Um, Mycosorella blight you probably see in fields where there was a, a tighter rotation where peas were grown once every three years or something like that. Um, bacterial blights, um, again, could be um, driven by the conditions the plants were exposed to early in the season. And um, one distinguishing feature is that uh, lesions of the bacterial blight on the leaves and on the stems have at first a water-soaked appearance and then later kind of a greasy appearance um, on the surface of the, the leaves and stems. And that's bacteria oozing out of the, the plant material and then uh, drying in the sun. There might be a little bit of a reflective sheen to those spots. That was David Kaminsky with Manitoba Agriculture. A look at what's happening in the markets this afternoon is coming up. Good afternoon. I'm Corey Canute. The Canadian Federation of Agriculture says it's pleased that the Canadian Senate voted in favor of Bill C-208's adoption this week. Brandon Suris MP Larry McGuire's private member's bill addresses long-standing barriers that make it more costly to transfer a farm to a family member than to a third party. Here's CFA President Mary Robinson. CFA has been working on this for more than a decade in conjunction with accounting and small business communities. This has been a long-standing barrier to intergenerational farm transfers, and to see it eliminated is wonderful to think that it's going to facilitate more farm families staying in their farming business, and it's going to just level the playing field. We weren't looking for preferential treatment. We were just looking for the playing field to be leveled on taxation, so very exciting. CFA expects the bill should receive rapid royal assent. Manitoba's crops are in a bit of a stressful situation right now. Dane Fraze is with Manitoba Agriculture. We haven't had rain or substantial rain for about two weeks throughout much of the central region. So crops are definitely looking parched at this time. And and as a result, they're thinner and, and shorter and less developed than they would normally be. He notes some crops may be maturing quicker than normal and moving into reproductive stages faster than expected due to drought stress. And the Canadian Grain Commission has appointed Derek Bankowski as the new Chief Grain Inspector for Canada. The Chief Grain Inspector position is one of the only positions specified in the Canada Grain Act. Bankowski takes over the job immediately. That was a look at today's Farm News. I'm Corey Canute. Good afternoon and welcome to the Prairie Eggwire for Friday, June 25th. I'm Corey Canute. Coming up today, we'll hear from Protein Industries Canada CEO Bill Gruel. Protein Industries Canada has announced an investment into a project to develop a national strategy to improve diversity and inclusion of Indigenous groups in the Canadian agriculture and agri-food sector. 
Bill Gruel is CEO with Protein Industries Canada. Protein Industries Canada announced a project in collaboration led by Indigenous Works, which is a not-for-profit corporation really looking at advancing uh, Indigenous-led research and innovation through what's called their Luminary Initiative. And uh, we brought them together with Nutrien, Farm Credit Canada, and the Universities of Saskatchewan and Regina, really looking at building a strategy focused on innovation for Indigenous agriculture and agri-food sector. Just talk about, I guess, the overall goal of, of the initiative here. I think the top-line goal is to ensure that um, the growth of Canada's plant-based food sector, which is going to contribute a lot to our economy, is inclusive of all sectors of our population. And so this is really looking at developing opportunities for Indigenous um, peoples and Indigenous businesses to participate in what is uh, a large economic growth opportunity for Canada. I I would say that's the top-line goal of what we're trying to achieve. The uh, Luminary Initiative, That'll um, there's a number of organizations that'll be part of that as well, um, about 140, I see. Yeah, so the, the Luminary Initiative is the name given by Indigenous Works to a six-year initiative, which is really designed uh, to implement an Indigenous innovation strategy, not just in agriculture, but all sectors of the economy. And so they've connected with 140 organizations and businesses across Canada to, to utilize them to help develop and build that strategy. Talk a little bit about uh, funding and, and how the project uh, you know, will, will roll out here over the next uh, uh, f- few years. Yeah, so the overall project is, uh, is about a million dollars of investment. And uh, Nutrien has been very generous with their support, as have a number of other organizations. And so the project over the next while... We'll, we'll look at developing some uh, baseline documentation, really trying to understand, uh, you know, what uh, Indigenous players and businesses are doing today in the agriculture and agri-food sector. We'll be doing some work on what we're calling the engagement gap, looking at creating tighter linkages between Indigenous businesses and the research communities and universities. That's a big role that the universities will play. We'll be doing some work around the engagement gap around the corporate sector as well. Um, You know, Indigenous Works did a a survey in 2017 of national companies, and the findings was that 85% of corporate Canada doesn't have a credible plan on how to work with Indigenous people, business, and communities. We want to understand and change that a little bit. Uh, And, of course, all of that will be leading to this innovation strategy for inclusiveness uh, in in the plant protein and agri-food sector. That was Bill Gruel, CEO with Protein Industries Canada. The organization has announced an investment into a project to develop a national strategy to improve diversity and inclusion of Indigenous groups in the Canadian agriculture and agri-food sector. Northern Nutrients has announced plans to build a fertilizer facility outside of Saskatoon. Glenda Lee Allen Wasser talks with Ross Gunther, one of the owners, about their plans. To begin with, talk to us about Northern Nutrients and the connection with Emerge Ag Solutions out of Eston. Northern Nutrients has been an importer and research and development and product developer company in the uh, crop nutrition space in Western Canada now for a few years, and Emerge Ag has been one of our loyal and, and excellent customers over the last few years. And what ended up happening is they, they liked the direction of the company and, the, and some of the products that we were working with so much that they decided to become a partner in the company themselves. And 
and, and strategically work with us to, to take the company to the next level. As I mentioned earlier, you've got plans to build a fertilizer facility just outside of Saskatoon. Can you fill us in on that? Where are we talking? What can we expect? What is it going to offer? Yeah, so this facility will be located about five kilometers east of Saskatoon on Highway 16 in the East Floral Industrial Park. And what this facility will be is a uh, sulfur-enhanced urea facility to make uh, mainly a high-analysis sulfur fertilizer for the Western Canadian and the, the, and the U.S. market as well. Um, and it will be uh, hopefully running in early 2022. The facility will utilize the Shell Thigro technology. Can you explain that for us? The Shell Thigro technology is a patented process to actually micronize elemental sulfur. And what Shell has found a way to do is by micronizing the elemental sulfur, make it quicker to become plant available so that when growers and farmers use the product, it's, uh, it's quicker for for the product to be available to the plants. So let's talk about the importance of the the element sulfur itself in that plant growth and development. Elemental sulfur is key to to many parts of uh, building uh, of building a, a healthy plant throughout the growing season. So sulfur is a very key function, especially in canola crops. Now you've been working with this technology and introducing it to farmers for a few years now. What kind of impact are you seeing? What kind of feedback are you getting from producers with it? As you correctly identified, we've been we've been commercially selling this uh, technology in Western Canada, this product for for three years now since 2019, and and the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive in terms of using less product uh, versus the traditional sulfur products on the marketplace, as well as having a product that's low salt and basically better for the soils and less toxic to the seed if placed close to the seed. So it saved farmers time. It's allowed retailers to actually use up less storage space because of the high concentration. And generally, it's been a very, very positive uh, product introduction to the Western Canadian market with, with retention rates of over 90%. So what made you decide to, to look at doing this fertilizer facility and, and bringing this one step closer, I guess, to producers? Yeah, I, I think there's a, a few things. One of the key ones was was security of supply, just to be able to for the growers and the re, and our retail partners to know that the product would always be close to home and readily available, versus the logistical challenges sometimes of bringing the product halfway around the world. So it's it really boils down to to confidence in the supply chain and knowing that the product's always going to be there when when our growers need it. Has that been a big challenge for you? You know, we, we've been able to overcome that challenge, but it's definitely been something that, that takes a lot of time, energy, and money at the end of the day to, to work a logistics chain from, from Asia through the Port of Vancouver into Western Canada. So it's, it's definitely something that we've been very successful to manage, but on the other side of it, 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 it is a very time-consuming and, and expensive process to, to manage that logistics chain. Ross, what kind of cost is involved in doing something like this? Yeah, so total project cost for something like this is uh, upwards of $25 million. And you'll be able to access all the raw product you will need uh, in order to to keep this facility operational? Yeah, so that's another great part of bringing the facility here is we'll actually be supporting some of the local raw material suppliers. 
such as the uh, the molten sulfur is available in both Regina and Lloydminster and urea manufacturers in Western Canada. We can help support as those are the two key raw materials for this process. That's Ross Gunther, co-owner of Northern Nutrients. We've been talking about the new fertilizer facility they're building near Saskatoon. For Golden West, I'm Glendalee Allen Bossler. Thanks, Glenda Lee. That's it for the Prairie Eggwire for today. If you have any questions or opinions to share, send them to us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. On behalf of Glenda Lee Allen Vossler, I'm Corey Canute. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. The Prairie Eggwire will return next week on the Golden West Farm Network. Time now for a look at the farm calendar. CFAM's Farmer Appreciation Lunch takes place July 13th in Plum Coulee at the Bergtaller Church parking lot. It'll take place from 11.30 until 1. The grand prize is a Meridian Grain Max Hopper bottom bin valued at more than $20,000. Sponsors include Buffalo Creek Mills in Altona, Bungie, and Carmen Ford. Farm Credit Canada is offering a free online workshop entitled The Modern Family Farm Transition July 13th. Visit the FCC website to register. Continuing with the Manitoba Farm Journal here on this Friday afternoon, we're joined by Agriculture in the Classroom Canada Executive Director Joanne Ross. As you know, Corey, this is always the time of year we look back and see how how we've done over the year. And it's certainly been an interesting year given everything that happened with the pandemic. But when you look back and realize all the milestones and, and successes we've had over the year, it's pretty exciting. So we talk about student experiences now. And, you know, we're, we're collectively across the country, all 10 provinces are measuring how we reach students in different ways. And it's really about giving them that experience. That could be um, taking part in a virtual event or utilizing a teaching tool in the classroom that the educator has brought forward, or looking at something online and and carrying out some kind of learning there, or any number of different things. And we're collectively calling them experiences. And we have reached over 2 million students in the past school year, even given all the restrictions and different things that we had to deal with. So it's pretty exciting to see that each of the provinces, because, of course, they are our delivery agents on the ground, have been able to look at unique ways to reach students, to reach teachers, to reach at-home learners. And you know what, Corey, like the demand has never been more than it has been in the last year. So we're pretty excited about some of those numbers that are coming in. Yeah, and um, Joanne, talk a little bit about how um, you've had to change, I guess, your, your delivery method yeah, and of course, you know, the, the reality is we can't send real live bodies into classrooms anymore right now. Um, hope We're really hoping that those days come back and that we're able to do that, and I think they will. But currently, we had to really look at how we could still have that interaction and that hands-on type of experience without sending volunteers into the classrooms. And even, you know, ag- agriculture in the classroom staff were very involved in visiting classrooms. So we were able to, you know, use that word pivot, but we were able to really shift our learning to online delivery. So a lot of digital content for teachers to use. Also interactive virtual and digital ways to learn. So we had lots of virtual farm tours going on. We had lots of volunteers that could read a book over a screen to students. 
or talk about, you know, why they love this sector and what they do in it. So a lot of that digital presence. And we were able to expand our offerings in, for teachers and for, for at-home learners, so parents who were having to teach their students, their kids. So we were able to offer a lot of um, lesson plans, a lot of new activities, ordering of kits that they could bring into their homes or into their classrooms with really comprehensive um, lesson plans that they could use. So we really made our clear purpose about supporting that digital online environment, but trying to keep the interactive nature of what we do, because that's what makes it so successful, is still offering that hands-on and feeling that you're able to interact with, with those that are working in the agriculture and food sector. So that's what we did, and it really worked, and we're going to continue doing it. Because, yes, there are limitations to it, but at the same time, we had a much further reach into remote areas than we ever did before, which was kind of cool. That was Joanne Ross. She's the Executive Director with Agriculture in the Classroom Canada. Another look at what's happening in the markets heading into the close is coming up in just a moment. Time now for another look at today's farm news. Lack of significant rain continues to impact crops in Manitoba. Dane Fraze is with Manitoba Agriculture. Right now, with uh, the lack of rainfall and the extreme temperatures, actually, we've seen crops rush through their growth development stages. Uh, for instance, cereals right now are uh, largely at the flag leaf to heading out, so that is about one to two weeks ahead of normal. When we see crops develop earlier and quicker that way, rushing to produce seed, they typically have a lower yield associated with it. And the Canadian Federation of Agriculture says it's pleased that the Canadian Senate voted in favour of Bill C-208's adoption this week. Brandon Suris MP Larry Maguire's private member's bill addresses long-standing barriers that make it more costly to transfer a farm to a family member than to a third party. Here is CFA President Mary Robinson. There's going to be billions of dollars of farm assets changing hands. To think that we've, we've moved away from this treatment as a dividend and instead you know, being able to have it in a, a more favorable tax situation. And, and I think the, the savings is in excess of 20%. So I've seen one figure where if uh, if you were talking about a farm with a million dollars, the savings are about $200,000. CFA expects the bill should receive rapid royal assent. I'll be back after this to wrap up today's program. We've come to the end of another Manitoba Farm Journal. I'm your host, Corey Canute. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach us by email, thefarmdesk at goldenwest.ca. Today's closing numbers with more in-depth commentary on what's happening in the markets is coming up at 10 to 2 on the Markets Farm program. Thanks for listening and have a great afternoon. Hope you can join us back here tomorrow starting at 12 noon.